You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the human condition. This is episode number, what is this, 12? This is 12, isn't it? Lucky number 12. Lucky number 12. And, uh, and we're, we're back on trauma. Not back, you know, but PTSD, trauma, obviously similar subject matters. But, um, you know, we'll come back to that. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah? Got to work good. out in before this. Lucky. Uh, been running. Been yeah. running a lot. I've been running for about the last three months. And uh, huge benefits. And uh, I don't know. It's just all around real good. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I got to get on that running. I, I do the elliptical. It's my knees. Jacked my knees up when I was younger. But uh, try to keep it low impact. But I like what you're talking about with the the backpack and the weights and and, and do something to the psyche. Dude, Get those I, I started with that because my running was real poor, and uh, I didn't have no lung capacity. It's all lung capacity for me. Right, Everything right. is lung capacity, and so I did the backpack and stuff like that. And then like I just moved into the running, and like today I was able to run like six minutes at around. 5.5 miles an hour. Nice. And that was like a good stride. I'm learning how to like really run, uh, have a long stride, how to breathe. It's people who run know these things. I didn't run for a real, real long time. I was always a power lifter when I was younger and stuff. And how much can I lift? And the typical bullshit, you know, like, I pick up heavy things and I set them down, you know, that whole mentality, but uh, leaner and uh, quicker and more athletic, I think, is uh, a better way to be as you're getting older. Well, in lung capacity, I mean, it, there's a definite difference. You know, if if I get into a game of, of uh, full court, and which isn't that often, but sometimes I want to mix up the cardio because I'm just doing the elliptical, I'll see how actually out of shape I am. Yeah. Even though I work out five, six days a week, I'll go in there and I'll and I'll be winded, you know, and wanting to sit out after the next game. One time, I I went three games with these young bucks, man, and I thought I was going to die. I was shaking, and <clears throat> but it's it's yeah, there's a difference between the being heart physically rate. fit. That it's rate. always the heart rate, man. I try to get that heart rate up to one seventy five consistently for like two minutes. That's serious. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Um. So back to trauma. Trauma. Not PTSD, even though they're related. Trauma is severe psychological or defined as severe psychological distress after a life-threatening event, which they would consider traumatic. I, I agree with that, but I, I, I think trauma can often be misconstrued. You know, I, for, when I was first diagnosed with PTSD, I thought there's no way. This is a this is what happens in the military. You know what I mean? There there was a misconception in that I could have ever been traumatized. And then when I started going back through events in my life, I, I realized, well, how could that not traumatize me? But there's a different kind of trauma too, which we'll you know we'll talk about later. And and it's a good trauma. So for me, my life shift when I when I got on the spiritual path and I really started doing work to fix myself was after my son was born. Wasn't immediate and I'm still working to this day, but but that that would be seen as a beautiful moment, right? You have this this newborn piece of you and and uh you know, I'm feeling unconditional love. Well, for me, because that was such a foreign feeling, it traumatized the shit out of me. And so I I went into a state of fight or flight and I had an option at that point and I could have either ran from that feeling, which I did from time to time when I was going on these PTSD benders. That's what it was. I was running from that and other things too. But this connection to this being was so intense that it traumatized me. But it, it, the trauma worked in a good way because I, I decided to stay and fight rather than fly from it, which helped me understand my father. It helped me understand him deeply. Because I know for a fact, I think there's an innate innate understanding or, or feeling 
when you have a child or this can go in passion too. If you're passionate about your work, it's like having a child, this connection, this deep connection where you feel responsible, you feel purpose. And I, I look back at my father and, you know, I think a lot of dads who wind up becoming deadbeat dads or people that abandon their, their purpose, they, they run. They run because it's so intense to stay there and fight would um might kill you and th- and that's the feeling that I got for whatever reason I chose to stay and fight I I know my dad flew as fast as he could and he became you know on the surface what some might consider a monster I chose to stay and fight my battles which were primarily external up until that point I would fight with people at the bar I would I was an asshole to whoever my girlfriend was at the time. I, I didn't know I was doing this. I was just re- reenacting what I saw as a child. But when my son was born, it, 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 I turned it inside, not intentionally. I'd like to say I'm a genius and I made that choice. And that's, but it, it started the battle turn. It went inward in an effort to at least present myself in a way that was favorable to my child, this infant child. And I didn't always do that, didn't always win. But, it, you know, it, it was it was traumatic nonetheless, in the same way that alcoholism is traumatic, in the same way that addiction is traumatic, in the same way that any compulsion that drives you to the point of self-reflection is traumatic. However, the trauma... The true trauma was done long before the affliction, right? It was so, and I think that's what we should talk about today is the trauma that happens in the first three years that spawns these afflictions, that, that spawn these symptoms that are often, they're often misconstrued as the focal point. This is what needs – okay, you drink alcohol you, you and, and you do it in an abusive manner. You're an alcoholic. Let's deal with the alcohol. And then the trauma gets pushed under the rug, the shit that actually caused it. Because if you look and you know you're in the program, anybody that, that's been to the brink of death with any substance or any compulsion and ruined their life as a result of it and it suffered these severe external consequences, there's trauma there. There's always trauma there. And sometimes it's not so on the surface. Sometimes it's not something that's readily available to evaluate until these things happen. But it happens when when you're a child. And it has to do with the relationship between us and our caregivers. 100%. Whoever our caregiver is, a a child will attach to anybody who's there to to give them their – to meet their basic needs, food, change their diapers, you know, so they're going to attach to whoever that person is or people, they're going to develop one of three types of attachment. It's going to be secure attachment, which is the good stuff. That's, that's, this doesn't mean the parent's perfect, but it's a, a loving relationship. It's reciprocal. They can interact with each other. They can look each other in the eyes when they get older. They can, they can be honest with each other. There's no judgment, you know, that kind of thing. And then there's avoidant attachment. That's where we'll get into this more later. But I want to get your take on trauma as a whole. And then I I think I'd I'd like to take it back to uh, the, the, um, the starting point because that's where it all is. At the end of the day, it's right there. Everything that we experience in a deep visceral way is as a result of those first three years of childhood, they just manifest in, in different ways. I think so. There's a lot of different types of trauma. And I always think of, uh, like think about rape, uh, abuse, uh, being human trafficked. I think those type of traumas it's it's like a record scratching in your reality like it's loud you know it it's blunt mm-hmm. and it's impactful like right off the rip mm-hmm. and depending on you know the severity and the length and all that 
you know, I think uh, the trauma is going to depend on all that. I think when we're younger and let's say uh, verbal abuse, mental abuse, all these things, I think the initial witnessing or experiencing of the trauma is like a record scratching in the human's reality. Mm -hmm. But then as it continues on through the life, it's like, I think it's like a, a little record scratch, a little record scratch, a little record scratch, a little record scratch. And then you have a lot of built up trauma over years. And all that is being stored in the body. Trauma is stored in your organs. It has no choice. It's If it has no release valve. I think I told this story on the air one time, probably the PTSD, but the one of the clinical supervisors at my work was telling the story about the polar bear. And the polar bear, they was up in Alaska, and they shot the bear. They tranquilized this polar bear so that they could tag it and all this research stuff. And then what happened was is when the polar bear woke up, it just shook as hard as it could for like 30 seconds and then went on its way. That's how that particular animal dealt with the trauma of being shot by a tranquilizer gun and sedated. Somehow, some way, human beings didn't really pick up on that. There's a lot of ways you can – there's trauma therapy, these <clears throat> EMDR, all these things. And, and some of these, like – I think EMDR, like, they require, like, you be sober for a while before you do it because it's so, like, in here that you'll be bringing up a lot of stuff, stuff you've forgotten about. So if I'm going to treat one trauma, the possibilities of other traumas coming up from the brain are almost guaranteed. So they always ask the person to be sober for about a year before they start that particular type of therapy. How many people are really going to be honest about that kind of shit? And then next thing you know, you, you know, you're bringing up major traumas, probably still you doing a little substance abuse here and there. It's going to be impactful. Well, and here's here's the thing too is the way we compartmentalize because traumatic things happen through life. That's the nature of life. You know, as, as we would say in Buddhism, um, pain is necessary, right? Suffering is a choice. We have to learn how to alleviate suffering. We're going to run into painful experiences. Things are going to be traumatic. We're going to lose people that we love. That's just the nature of the beast. How we deal with that, with these traumas that are dealt to us throughout life that has everything to do with our ability to connect. So a lot of people don't understand that you might have had on, on the surface what some might say is the perfect life. You grew up with the, you know, the two cars and the happy family and the parents never divorced and all that. And for some reason, you're fucking up. Yes, you, you still can't still can't seem to get it right. You, you hate yourself for whatever reason. This goes back to. As an infant, our ability to connect with our caregivers and this establishes the type of attachment that we will that we will carry throughout our life. So it's anxious attachment, it's avoidant attachment, or it's uh, or it's secure attachment. And, you know, they they kind of speak for themselves. In the mix, there, you know, when we get to the PTSD level of, uh, of the method for compartmentalizing the traumas that we experience throughout life, that's called disorganized attachment. That's me personally. That's what I suffered because my primary caregivers were both the source of my life, right? I, they fed me. They kept me alive. They were also the source of my trauma. My father, you know, so it, it was – I didn't – I learned how to not trust at a very young age. Here I'm getting food for my mom and love. Here me and my mom are getting our asses beat and put in the hospital from – you know what I mean? So, so – in all of my trauma therapy, I'm looking at the surface stuff, right? Okay, so my dad breaks in the house, tries tries to kill my mom. I I get out the window and I go call 911. I'm thinking that's the source. 
It's not really the source. Was it traumatic? Absolutely. But the trauma happened. It was established long before that. And if you look at any addictive pattern, and you know, and I love you know. Uh, what was the source? What's that? What was the source? The disorganized attachment. My inability to connect came from the fact that I couldn't. I couldn't go to my caregivers with open honesty, and I was too young to even verbalize that anyway. But as a child, you're being programmed. This stuff's being po- so. This is what I'm seeing, and just like an like an animal who they're going to stay there for their master, right? But that animal knows that that master beats the shit out of them. So you'll see a recoil, but it's going to stay right there because yeah. it has no choice. How else is it going to eat, right? So us as little human beings who have no moral compass. We're getting programmed like a computer. So even if it's not physical abuse, if if you have a father that comes home and just doesn't want to be bothered by that baby, that's going to affect you. And if you have a mother who's going through postpartum depression and just doesn't be, want to be around that baby, that shit affects you in a deeper way than the surface stuff. Now, for me, when I got to the the later traumas, I didn't know how to process that. My the, the neurons in my hippocampus had, had already been rendered ineffective, right? Because of PTSD, this part of my brain had shrunk. My neural pathways had shut down. I lived in a state of hypervigilance, and I was always on the edge of fight or flight. Even now to this day, I'm hypervigilant. I catch it much better than I used to. But my entire life, I lived in a state of fight or flight. It goes back to that, to the stuff that I couldn't pinpoint. And this all came out in therapy. But – that book you you uh, you recommended, The Body Keeps a Score, amazing book. I couldn't put it down. And there's a lot of medical stuff in there, but yeah. it really helped me to understand the way that my brain works. And, you know, so when you're experiencing a trigger point, there's a, there's a part of your brain called the uh, – this is the Broca section, then there's the Broadman. So the Broca section, the Broca section goes offline. The Broca section is also the part of the brain – that is affected when you have a stroke. So your ability to speak and process linear yeah, thoughts. Yeah. So it's the same. So that goes dark. This, and this is, they've scanned this. It's, it's amazing to know this stuff. That goes dark. So logic, it, it just, it's not functioning. This part over here, the, the, uh, the broad, broca. This is broca. Broca or broadman. It's one of the other people can look it up, but this, this part over here on, on the right side, that lights up. Now, this is the part of the brain that's responsible for immediate interaction with external stimuli. So pictures, pictures, pictures. I see you. Yeah. This part of the brain lights up, lights up, lights up. And what that indicates is this part goes dark, the logical part. This part lights up, but you're not experiencing anything in real time. So, you know, when you have this sensory trigger for me, sensory, emotional, whatever, I start reliving the experience and the traumatic event in real time, and obviously mine's deeper than just base trauma, right? Right. But if you had that connection when you were younger, when you were an infant, you, you're you equipped to deal with that when it comes. There's not this need to fight, flight, freeze, or collapse. Like those are your options when you're hypervigilant. That's, that's what you're going to do when you're not equipped to deal with these things. So how could that not lead to – a need for aversion or constant pleasure, right? Right. Like you, you need something to fill that space because you're just not equipped to handle this shit. And that book was amazing because I really started to understand how to navigate that part of the brain. I can see it when I start to speak. You put me in front of a camera, give me a script. I'm good. I'm go. I'm in my element. You put me in a place where I have to speak about real shit about my life. I start to freeze up. And I know what's going on. Like this is this this right here is starting to shut down, and I'm reliving this trauma of rejection because that's what I experienced as a as a child, rejection, abandonment. How many times do you like? Do you always constantly relive it? Yeah, yeah. And I, but the thing now though is that I, I don't. It's not intentional, and that's the thing. It's so automated. Like there's, I have all I can control is my response to it, and I had to get to a place to where I could recognize when that was coming prior to maybe a few years ago i didn't even recognize i we talked about having high threshold for pains right for pain yeah so 
when I said I was okay, I believed it. Like I really didn't even know that shit was going on up here and I had to put this system into place. This is a ridiculous amount of work to be a human. You know what I mean? Who the hell wants to do this? But I still have that calendar that, you know, and I have my, that I, I come out of my room and I look, if it's not X'd on certain days, I haven't lived those days because I haven't written. I haven't done these things that I know I should be doing that I feel driven to do. So I've been neglecting myself. I have to monitor that because if I don't, I'm susceptible to the abyss. That's me. But mine's extreme. You know what I mean? That that's <laughs> my mine's a, severe PTSD is different than, you know, just some basic attachment issues and but the source is the same. It, it's the same for all of us. And Gabor Mate, he says that uh rather than asking when it comes to addiction or compulsions, Rather than listing out the consequences and the reasons why you should not do these things, which is easy, we need to ask ourselves, what did it do for me? So, you know, in my alcoholic benders, what did that do for me? Well, it purged me. It purged the hell out because the the closest I ever got to myself were in the moments where – so it would start out of nowhere. Like I'd go – you know, I just didn't drink in my day. It wasn't my thing. But then I'd snap and then I'd drink and it wasn't drinking for pleasure because it, 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 in all honesty, alcohol really doesn't do anything for me. It, it was only fun to get the girls back in the day. You know what I mean? It was the party thing. But but when this started happening and I trace it back to 2004, it was like this snap. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I got to get the fuck. What's the thing that can black me out? If I grab vodka and I just slam it, I have no tolerance. I'm gone. And then – this thing would play out in me. So all that subconscious shit would come to the surface and I would emulate my father. And a lot of the the ways that I remember him as a child, I would be a slob. I didn't want to take a shower. I didn't – I would shut the – don't want to talk to anybody. I would break my phone, stay away from me. Really wasn't hurting anybody but myself. But the people who loved me were affected by it. And then I would snap out of it. And I would just go – and that's the first time I ever experienced what a withdrawal was. And I would go through this three-day period where it was uncomfortable, but I was closer to myself and let's just call it my God or whatever that is. Like the yeah. ego had been dismantled. And without that, I'm not here today. I'm not speaking about these things intelligently with you. With So what did it do for me? One, before I knew that I needed to change things about myself – it gave me an instant gratification, this sense of connection, which I lacked. And I didn't know I lacked it across the entire universe. Like I didn't know how to connect because it just was never taught to me, right? I, and when my mom was able to connect with me, it, she she did it in fear because she would get her ass beat for saying, you can do whatever you want to do. Don't listen to your father. That's not – you can't do that, you know? So I didn't know how to connect and I, I just lived that way and – any compulsion, be it work, be it, you know, whatever, I, w- I would fall into habits real easy. didn't matter what it was, working out, work, script. I would write unhealthily to disconnect from all kinds of things because I didn't really know. I didn't know how to connect. I didn't know how to do it. But those provided, and even alcohol, provided this instant gratification. I felt this moment of connection. I didn't care about all the insecurities. They were fucking gone. They didn't exist in those moments. Did they come back 10 times harder after? Yes. Yeah, that's the effects produced by alcohol and drugs. Right, right. You oh. give me a foreign substance into my body. Or anything. I'm going to forget about a lot of stuff that, you know, that's the whole thing. I, I drink to forget. I use to forget whatever it is. Character defects, trauma, past experiences, shame, guilt, whatever. You give me a bottle of Jack and – I no longer am going to be thinking about that stuff. I might for a little bit in the beginning of the fifth, but by the end of the fifth, I'm not really thinking about that shit. You're connected, right? To something. Not real. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm connected. I wouldn't, I, I, the way that I drink and drug, I probably, I am disconnected from all organic. I am straight insane. Well, let me ask 100%. you this. Did you feel disconnected to the things you felt disconnected for to before you went in? Because for me, that alleviated I, all feelings of disconnection. I, I think I got to look at how my uh, drinking progressed and, and stuff like that. I mean, there was time where I used things to connect, like, you know, smoking weed and drinking in the early years. You know, I think like – 
you know, I, I, I hear your story. I, I moved right when I graduated high school. I, I just was, I was like, I got to get out of Detroit. I was like, this place just, I, I'm in a bubble. And I was like, I need to get out of the bubble. You know, I sold a lot of dope in high school and uh, I had saved up some money and, uh, you know, had a little bit of money on the side and went out to Colorado. And I didn't know anyone. I knew absolutely no one. And my mom had kicked me out of the house because she found a bag of seeds and stems washed up in the washing machine. It was the middle of the summer. She's like, you're out of here. I was like, whatever. Sure. She dropped me off at the Highlander Motel over there on Dixie and Telegraph. It was two blocks away from where my stepbrother was living at the time. I went over to that house. We partied like rock stars for a week with him and all of his boys from high school and stuff. My dad came back from Florida, and I was like, I want to go out to Colorado and he drove me out that week, dumped me off in Boulder. And at that point, when I knew no one, some people might look at that as like a traumatic life event. I looked at it as like a freeing experience. Good trauma. And, and I'm, I'm, I had, I, rem, I just was able, at such a young age, to be my true self. Like really, like these are the things I like and. You know, like it was weird because, like, uh, here's the kid from Detroit living in Boulder in '95. Man, like, you go to the liquor store. I'm like, where's the OE? You know, and they're like, what? I'm like, the eight ball, and like, like people didn't drink malt liquor in Boulder, Colorado. You know, <laughs> and so it was different. And, and, the, and the weed smoking out there was a lot. It different was a than lot the weed different. Fruit. You know, and so I was able to to learn how to connect with people. I learned how to connect with nature out there. I learned how to connect with myself and found a lot of what I like, what I don't like, what resonates with me. And, you know, there was a lot of trauma in my parents' marriage that, you know, was a little fucked up and stuff. But I I don't – I never – I was always of the mind, like, I don't want anything to define me. I – I don't want trauma to define me. I don't want past stuff to define me. So there was a lot of stuff that I just self-medicated for a long time. But in the same way, like, I healed myself too, you know? And I think that's what Gabor Mate asked. And that's, that's the important question is what did it do for me? And sometimes it's hard to find that answer and you need to progress to a certain point to where you can actually step outside of yourself and look at the whole situation objectively, almost as if you're not yourself and say, I think you got to You got to you don't have to pinpoint those moments. I know it's been effective for me when I when I figured out what I was doing subconsciously, what it was. We can say we're running from things, but. I don't think I was. I, I think I still reject, and we've talked about this before, I still reject a lot of the, the ways of the world, right? I'm not okay with the materialism. I'm not a, okay with the greed. I'm not, you know, there's things that that we should want to disconnect from, right? If we're part of that matrix, man, that's not that's not good. You, you see the state of the, the globe right now. Um, so I, I, I watch. I watch the state of the globe in my chair. And, you know, it's it's funny because people think that you are going to uh, vote your way into change. That ain't happening. That's- you know, I don't – you can put a Democrat in that White House in November. Not much going to change. Not some really, Maybe no. some social policies and stuff. Uh but racism in this country will still be doing what it does. Uh, you know, gender discrimination, all forms of division, it, it will all still go on. But, you know, it just you just throw another name on it or a blanket on it and all this other stuff when the, you don't realize that the system is broken. It is broken broken completely i think a lot of people do there's a lot of people that don't so when you're willing to go and get a new system let me know 
I'll be more than willing to help out. But, you know, man, I don't know. I, I remember I, I did a campaign contribution, man. Talk about trauma. <clears throat> I did a campaign contribution for Bernie the last time he ran. And now, like, at least, like, 80 to 100 emails a day from the Democratic National whatever or any Democrat that's running for politics. They just bombard my email. And it's just like all I did was throw 20 bucks towards Bernie a couple of years ago. And, you know, uh, it's they, just – it's They just, keep those emails. Right. And, and you know, I mean, you got to look at the state of the world as it is. I mean, trauma – it's a traumatic world. And that's, and the, that's the point is – I think it's – I think we are – I think our spiritual intuition knows what bullshit we live in, right? This is the human condition. This is what we talk about. We, there's there's a need – there's a deep, deep need to transcend the bullshit. And if you're unequipped, you're, you're not Christ. You weren't born in a manger. You're not told you're the Messiah. You're not told you can – you have these powers, which we're not. There's still this innate pull towards something higher – than the frequency that we're surrounded by. So if you're unequipped, you don't have the methodology to transcend these things in a healthy way, what what alcohol or any other substance, and there's some substances that are actually good that, that you know, you can use to elevate, you know, psilocybin. Yeah. And, um, but your need to disconnect from the things you should want to disconnect from we do that in unhealthy ways because we don't have a better way yet. So here's another thing. So we got this trauma topic going on and we got methods of, you know, like 12-step recovery, tell you the truth, helped my relieve a lot of trauma. I was able to inventory. I was able to drop it's it. Huge. I was able to heal. You know, I've always, God's always put really cool people in my way to bounce stuff off of for new methods of healing, which I'm truly grateful for. But then you have a certain segment of the population that isn't exposed mm -hmm. to this stuff, right? Right. So you have this population that's not exposed to the methods of healing. So they're constantly – and those people are living in a traumatic world 24-7. And they don't you know, even know they're broke. Low income, whatever you want to call it, you know, crime everywhere, all the shit going on everywhere. They live in a trauma-type environment. So that's what the world is. So they have no method. You know, their method is I'm going to go to school, I'm going to get this degree, and then I'm going to bounce out of this neighborhood. Like that's their healing method. That's what everyone's been telling them. Um, and so that will suffice for a little while, but it doesn't help the general population that's in that trauma you you have to you have to have that shift down like from those people all the way up you know i just remember like working shit job 925 an hour cuz it was the only job i could get at 37 years old and uh you know and I, you know, I, yeah, I worked my way out of that, and I, you know, I've I've worked my way in cycles through a lot of different stuff and a lot of different business ventures and stuff like that. But at that particular time, all I knew was I'm punching in, and I'm gonna fucking cut chickens and fucking steaks all day long for the next eight hours, and then punch back out, go home, take off my boots because my feet hurt, probably soak them. <clears throat> And get ready for tomorrow. Yeah. And where's there's no time for healing in that. And a lot of times in this society right now, you're working two, three jobs just to cover the bills. And you know when when the that's this, traumatic in itself. Well, and this is the unfortunate part about this society. And I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so I don't know that, that if it was designed this way. I do believe politicians politicians peddle fear that they can keep you in fear of losing your job, your nine twenty five an hour job. They can keep you in fear of that because you're just barely getting by. And to step away from that would well, they can control you, right? Like the, they keep you in the fear based mentality, like the Steve Harvey. I send you, you see that thing on yeah. YouTube. I send it out to as many guys as I can when they start talking about 
man, I'm I'm thinking about doing something new and completely different from man. and like I'm like, dude, you got to see this Steve Harvey thing because he was just caught freestyling like after Family Feud one day, and it's all about taking that leap and jumping off the cliff. Your parachute won't open right away, and that's that's how you heal the trauma, man. So that's and that's what I've learned is, and I seek risk. It's calculated risk, right? But risk to me might be starting a conversation with a stranger and making intimate contact with them. That's scary to me. I'll speak in front of a group and I'll do the actor thing and I'll put myself in. I've been surrounded by people most of my adult life. I've been in entertainment, right? So it's weird that for me to make one-on-one eye contact and get into an intimate conversation, it creates this sense of anxiety in me. It's not real. Right, it's connected to that—the stuff we talked about, that early life inability to disconnect, the fear of rejection, the fear of abandonment. All these things brew up to the to the top of my well, not to the top of my brain because they're all here in the the amygdala, you know. And and then it can't get past to this part when the trauma sets in because this part's cut off. Now all the blood's flowing down here, and I'm uh, my my amygdala is assessing whether I'm going to go into fight or flight or whether I'm okay. The only way you you open up the neural pathways that you don't have access to is by taking that leap that you were just talking about. That and, you know, there's emotional regulation techniques. We always are getting taught this stuff at work. You know, it's it's interesting. The, the clinical guy I told you, the supervisor told me about the polar bear. He's like been studying Chinese martial arts probably for 50 50 years. I think he started in 70, 69 sometime. Anyway, so he started all Eastern philosophy. So it was interesting when I started the martial arts class, and I haven't been there in a long time, but I, I videotaped some stuff, and I learned a lot while I was there that I still practice maybe not daily, but like at least three or four times a week, including the pressure points, which – I need meridian line work, right? Because the trauma is stored in the body and there's different meridian lines that are going to run through those places that are stored. So if I do things to get out of brain state, whether it's the, you know, we all joke around like the vagus nerve Mm. where it's on the side of the hand and if I massage it for two or three minutes, my anxiety will go away. It's also used for like a, going to sleep. A lot of people, you know, in early recovery, man, people are like, dude, I can't go to sleep and I don't want to do the Seroquel shuffle. We give them some pressure points and stuff to do at night so that they can just go to sleep without having to like take 300 fucking milligrams of Seroquel. There's things you can do to get out of the brain state. My trauma is back here. My fight or flight is back here. I need to get out of this. I have to learn how to get out of my brain state. When I learn how to get out of my brain state, whether it's crossing meridian lines, martial arts, prayer, working out, taking the leap on on new things, whatever it is, I need to do it and I need to do it often and I need to make it a practice. And in that practice, my trauma is going to be released out of my body. And you can you, – you throw some therapy on top of that shit. Then you're really cooking with something – some form of healing. And therapy has been beneficial for one reason, and it, it was to expose me to patterns in myself that I didn't recognize. But beyond that, there's nothing there's nothing that can take the place of the things you're talking about that you put into practice on a daily basis because it really is – and that's what EMDR is. It's opening up these new neural pathways. It's a way to manipulate – the neural pathway so that they open back up and you you start to ha- you start to be able to experience parts of your brain that was closed off in the past. You know why it's hard to practice because it takes time. It and sucks. It, and, and it takes setting time in my fucking routine in my daily life to like better myself. People wish that I could just like why isn't there an app for this that I can just, you know, you know, all that? It, it just doesn't. Well, they're always comparing, it, looking at this person. Know, well, they do it. Why can't I? Why should I have to do it? I don't see them putting in the work and they might be putting in the work, but why should I have to? I won't call it a habit. Finding, practicing, practicing techniques that is going to heal yourself. I won't call it a habit, but 
it takes about 28 days to form a habit. So if I practice these things for 28 days, then I have a practice. I have a dedicated practice like meditation, mm. like they talk about. I do it. You, you find a time. You, you make the time because guess what? To get up out of where you're at, no matter how much trauma has beat you the fuck down, you want to get out of where you're at, you have to do a bunch of shit that you don't want to do. It's called change. Some people don't like that shit. It's but uncomfortable. In, in recovery, so in recovery, what happened was is like I, I found that change spikes, like it gives me like an adrenaline rush. It really does. So uh, people go to roller coasters and stuff at Cedar Point. I just kind of like make a few changes in my life and like I get the same thrill. And in the same time, I'm like, I'm expanding the experience of being a spiritual being. I want the I want the healing from the past. But if I'm not willing to do anything for it, then I'm going to stay in the past. And that's the thing: is you have to want that. And pe- people grow two ways. They grow two ways. They change two ways. It's by choice or trauma. It's rarely choice because we're, you know, just the human condition. We're innately always seeking the least path of resistance. So anything that, that rattles you, you don't want to do. I mean, just naturally. It, it's So it's counterintuitive for us to go against our own grain, our own. And that's the problem with. The different forms of, of negative attachment when you're younger is that once you're programmed, and, and it's crazy how cycles repeat themselves, you're going to go back to that. It'll manifest differently because for me, I would look at my father and the way he treated my mother and I would say, fuck that. Anybody puts their hands on a woman, blah, 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 blah. But in, innately, with I mean, it's, it's subconsciously, I would seek out women that would allow me to be verbally abusive with them. You know, like there were there, there was no cower in, in any of my relationships. There were, there were some knives being thrown in each direction. What I realized later on is that subconsciously I, I, I was seeking that out because that was what I I thought in my head love was. That's just how it was. You know what I mean? I, I had to find out later through trauma because it wasn't by choice. I didn't make a choice to say I, I never once did I look at myself and say, you know what? The things you're saying and doing, that's just fucking wrong. You don't treat people like that. Never even thought it. It's just the way it was. So I just – I was living out this this pattern that, that I had been taught. It took, it took the trauma in later days, trauma that brought me to my knees, that almost killed me. It took that to rattle me to the point to where I did that inventory that you were talking about. And I, I was like, oh, shit. So – I guess a big question is, and and this is, I think, the point that you're talking about is those people that are trapped and they haven't been blessed enough to experience the trauma to rattle them to their core to where they start to evaluate it or even somebody exposing it. Exposing it to them, yeah. Because even a positive way, because I heard things and there's things I go back to now when I was in juvie when I was 14, 15. Those psychologists were saying things to me that make absolute sense to me now. Back then, for the life of me, well, it was always fuck you, bullshit. Yeah. You meditate, but fuck you. You know what I mean? Because I knew everything. Of course, you but did. I, I, but I go back <laughs> on that now, and I reflect, and I'm like, man, they were right. You know. So as much as we can, and that's why we do this, right? We do this because hopefully it trickles down to somebody who's who's in a place to where they're receptive to new information, and then maybe it can make a difference. And that's what being a light is. But I was an asshole. I didn't know I was an asshole. I thought it was pretty fucking sweet. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I was pretty high on myself, but I wasn't. I, I was decimated inside, and it was all in overcompensation for for things that I didn't even know existed in me. So I want <clears throat> to rewiring the brain. I'm going to say is extremely difficult. Near impossible. But Not to discourage anybody. I I won't go impossible. But I was able to rewire it, you know, you know, for the drink and the drug, I was able to rewire it 
for the way that I feel and my thoughts and uh, the worthlessness and self-defeating behavior, I've been able to rewire a lot of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't, it just takes what I said. It just takes practice. It takes being aware of my thoughts and my thinking. Ooh, ego fucking beating you the fuck down. Well, let's journal it. I'm going to journal it. And then I'm going to see like, where did it come in at? Right, right. Where, where did it come in at? And why did it decide to do what it did? What makes it so imperative that the future and what my boss is going to do a week from now and all this other stuff or all the arrangements have me beating myself down and I ain't even there yet. And, and, and I can project like I could I could always project what's going to happen or, you know, my delusions will get the best of me. My thinking is doing me. I'm not doing the thinking. And next thing you know. That type of shit takes me back to the past. So I still have to rewire what's going on now. And if I if I take a look now, like, so something caused a little insecurity, little fucking popcorn kernel seed thing, and it flew into the mind, and then it decided to bring some friends. Sprout a little and bit. And next thing you know, uh, you, you threw a little oil on that shit. Now it's popcorn up in there. And now I'm like, you know, but the truth is I have today. Tomorrow comes when tomorrow comes. Have I done everything today to be a better human being, to heal myself from the past? Have I practiced my, you know, emotional regulation techniques? Have I journaled? Have I complimented someone? Have I helped someone? You know, it, Leave each day better than you experienced it. You know what I mean? And and just help the journey. And that's what we don't teach enough of. In sc- we don't teach any of it in school. We don't teach that. That's a, it's, it, we're, One for all. All for one. Get your Step on the throat of your comrades that, so you it. can take a leap in corporate America. And that's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem is that – like you said, society, it's a traumatic society. It's traumatic anyway. If we are truly spiritual beings having a human experience, what the fuck is this? You know Welcome what I mean? to Andover. We teach you how to step on the backs of your fellows here to get to the number one spot. It's the American CEO. way. It's, it's the American <laughs> way. You know, and that's, that's part of the problem. America. So, so we're sitting here talking about, well, what do we do to offset? Um, what do we do to introduce people to concepts that make – that makes sense that make this type of sense without them having to experience the trauma that we have and that's really what has to be done is that we have to meet them when they're they're young we have to expose them to concepts like meditation and you have to make them understand why meditation is important because for me i i read all the books not all the books there's plenty but i've read a ton of books on meditation i understood the physiology of it I knew why it was important. I know why it's important. Did I do it? Nope. <laughs> nope, because I would sit and I would feel like a failure because I thought there was supposed to be some, like a drug, some kind of immediate result. And, and, you know, it's like you said, people want to be internet influencers. They don't want to work. You know, they want this instant gratification. And even with meditation, I was looking for a drug for an immediate fix. And it didn't work like that. Sitting, but, sitting in the woods – in a chair with some water will heal you. It, that's an instant fix. It can be. It depends. You know, it depends on what you're there for. Fishing for two hours, whether you're any kind of fisherman or not, has some sort of therapeutic value. Everything has therapeutic value. I, it takes me back to, I remember fishing. Because they would take us fishing when I was in juvie. It was a program. I was in Camp Oakland for a year and a half. I don't know if it still still exists, but there was a lake right there. And it, it, it's funny. I hated fishing because I, because I felt like a failure, right? I, I can look at it now and say, well, if I don't catch the fish, I suck as a human being. So I remember throwing my pole in there getting all pissy. Was that therapeutic? Yeah, that was therapeutic. It's not the same type of therapy. Do you fish now? The first time I have since then was with my daughter 
and my son when we went up north. It was a few weekends ago. The most peaceful experience, and and they had a <laughs> they had a huge part to do with that. But right, of course, the company. You yeah, keep, you but know? but it was it was so calming, yeah. you know. And I, I snuck in my couple pictures, and we just then we just relaxed. We relaxed and we fished and we caught fish and we threw them back. And there was no intent on eating these fish. It was just nature, and so so I know what you're talking about. But the but when I did it in the past, same with golf. I think there's some meditation to be gained with golf. Me when I was when I first tried, it pissed me the it pissed me off because it wasn't great immediately. You you have to seek it, right? You have to seek it. That's you the know, point. So it's all in the seeking, right? I have to seek. What are you there for? My healing. How much do I want to get healed? I, I always go back to like it's about freedom. It's about freedom for me. I want to be free of the ego. I want to be free of my thinking. I want to be free of the past. I, you know, and, and how hard am I willing to work for that? But you're speaking and I'm speaking from a different level of consciousness. So when we talk about the kids or not even the kids, the adults like me, in my early 30s before I had my son who did not believe that they were broken and could verbalize an argument to make you feel like an idiot or at least in my head make the person feel like an idiot who was telling me that I was broken. How do you, how do you, how do you create seeking in a person who doesn't believe that they're broke or needs to seek for anything? When it comes to kids, a lot of times uh, it's all about planting seeds, uh, right? You know, all right, in group a couple weeks ago, new client, and uh, I think he's like 17. Dad died when he was five, heroin overdose. And uh, we were talking, and, and, and so, you know, he just was like, my dad died when I was five, and I'll never get over it, and I'm never going to do this, and I'll, I'll be this way for the rest of my life. And I said, you know, that's the stupidest shit I ever fucking heard. I was like, you just built in an excuse to use for the rest of your life. You just built in an excuse to fail for the rest of your life. And I mean, he was getting all worked up and, you know, he was getting ready to cry. But I wanted to present that you're holding on to this thing as if it's like a badge of honor and that you're allowing yourself to be identified by it. I did the same thing. I know and, that space well. And and in the same regard, you know, I think he's gotten a lot of benefits from it too because poor me, poor me, self-pity, self-pity, you know, whip up a few tears and a few girls come over. Oh, baby, it'll be all right. All that bullshit, you know, it, it's been his defense mechanism for, you know, 12 years. And so you have to, like, challenge some people, kids especially, because if you don't challenge them, if you don't plant big seeds. They're probably not going to challenge themselves. They're not going to challenge right. themselves. Another instance, there was a girl sexually abused, human trafficked like a motherfucker. And I would always talk to her. You know, she was in the group and... uh you know, I'd always talk to her and bullshit with her. She'd come in stoned like a motherfucker every time. And, you know, all the clinicians would be like up her ass. Like, are you fucking, are you high? You know, and she just kind of like put her, you know, do this type deal, you know, like whatever. And like kind of just tell the clinicians to go fuck off. But she was all up in here. She's in the brain state. She's still in traumatic mode. Fight or flight? You know, in fight, flight, freeze, or collapse. She's in freeze. Didn't really share much. She shared a little bit here and there. She shared more with me just in passing in the hallway than she ever did in group. But, you know, it just, they they ended up because, you know, she violated for smoking and all that stuff. You know, she going to, you know, lock up, you know, and, and that to me makes no fucking sense it's either. Productive. You know, like, you know, you just been fucking abused and sex trafficked and shit you got an sud problem so now i'm gonna go lock you up because you didn't comply with not smoking weed so so you yeah so you you treat a form of abuse and rejection and and everything that goes along with that with another form of abuse i mean and i know rejection. there's therapy and everything and all that stuff but still like you know and that was the part because like i remember you know telling my supervisor like why don't you go to like emdr with her and she like 
that girl, not ready. That girl ain't sober long enough to do that. She's like, hey, this ain't gonna, it ain't gonna happen. You have, you have to want it. And you know, and going back to the, the whole point and, and why this has been so heavy on my mind is, I am a study of self-help methods, 12-step groups. I, I like to pop into anything I can. I like to derive different religions. I like to learn. I like to, I like to know. And I, I can only know what I can know, right? There's a lot more that I, I could learn, um, knowledge. But knowledge is finite. You know, there's, there's a limit to, to that. So I, I like to experience things and people and energy. And the common denominator and the reason I wanted to talk about this is it is trauma. And I, I think that's, I think that's known, right? But it's so complex and so individualized that, that it, it's often overlooked. And the easier thing to deal with are the symptoms of the trauma. If you suffer from mental illness, there's trauma involved. If you are prone to compulsive behavior and addiction, alcoholism, whatever the case is, there's trauma involved. We need to get to the trauma. And we, and we need What's to stop. What's the common denominator? Trauma. trauma. I know, but what does that mean, the common denominator? It's all encompassing. So if you go to any oh. one of these symptomatic things, there's one, there's one the common okay. denominator, the thing that binds it all is trauma. All right. All right. Kind of like it. I didn't know because like I was like I was thinking to myself, I was like, does every human being have a common denominator of trauma? Well, trauma is the common denominator. So if. So does every human being have it? Well, we've experienced it. How we experience it is different. So but it, and I guess I'm talking about process right. and surface addictions, um, compulsive behavior, people that have um, mental illness when when we suffer. When we suffer, the, there is a common denominator to suffering, and that is trauma. Through this disconnection that we feel when we're traumatized, through that disconnection, we develop unhealthy attachments. And if you go to Buddhism, all human suffering is derivative of attachment, unhealthy attachment, the clinging to. Well, I think Buddhism is all about non-attachment to anything right right so when you speak in psychological terms and you say healthy attachment we're talking psychological terms right it's a way to define this pattern but non-attachment the concept of non-attachment which for me in a in a uh, more kumbaya type of way of stating it <laughs> is embracing impermanence right like that's that's how i because non-attachment non -attachment works fine for me <laughs> but some people don't like the way that sounds. oh you're gonna detach from it no no it's not that it's that i embrace impermanence i know that things come and they go and i have to find a way to make peace with those things as they come and go and that goes with my brain state you know my brains i'm gonna be this i'm gonna live with this brain state till the day i don't you know yeah, and then i'm gone yeah. so i have to find a way to make peace to to have that work in tandem with my spiritual principles and that's that's the human condition. I'm seeking transcendence. How how long are we? Are we? How many? How long? Two minutes. Okay, so I, I'll I'll stop. I can we can ramble about this all day, but I'm not going to be here for the next episode. You are. You have a guest coming in. If yep. you want to. Um... Sure. So next episode, we'll be bringing in uh, Justin Cole. He's a social worker that I work with, and. Uh, Highly intelligent. We're going to be covering some stuff. Uh, anxiety disorder along with mental illness. Kind of in a whole ball of uh, how the world jacks up the frequency on all this stuff mm -hmm. to create more anxiety disorder and confusion and mental illness and stuff. I think it's going to just be like a – that's going to be the topic. But I think we're going to just free flow like we always do and get into some stuff. So I mean, it'll be more of the same. Yeah. Trying, trying to get get that brain state thinking in the positive direction. I'll be in Europe with with my children. For anybody who wants to follow on social media, they're gonna I'm, I'm gonna bombard them with some heavy stuff. So we're gonna do Auschwitz. We're gonna do uh, we're gonna do Anne Frank's house. You could house. post a video. You could post a video from that stuff. Human condition. 
well, I'm, I'm thinking I, I, I will. I'm, I'm going to try to get – you know, we want to experience it right. like you talk. So we're going to – but we are going to take breaks to, you know, break this down because it really is. I'm going to take them to the source of some very great trauma. And my whole point is this is what happens when human suffering is left unattended. This right. is the culmination. This is why you need to be a light. Um, illuminate your space while you're on this planet. So um, we're going to wrap it up now. Sean's got a guest next episode. Thank you for tuning in. Please uh, keep up with your comments, your messages, and suggestions.